Welcome to the Daily Thinker Podcast. If this is your first time here, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button and join the show. We need you all's help. And this is a fun show. Relax, faith, sports, theology, apologetics, all of that. But anyway, got a great guest on today, okay? One of the best, okay? One of the best, okay? The, the, not the best, the best, one of the best apologists online, okay? You've probably heard of him before. And if you haven't, well, you're in good company. You're in good luck, Okay. This is your chance. This is your moment, okay? This is your moment to hear from one wow. of the greats. Uh, BK, apologies. Thank you uh, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Man, that's, that's, you make, you're making it hard, man. It's like people have now, you know, I like having lower expectations. <laughs> but now people are going to think, oh, this is the guy. You know what yeah, I mean? this is like, the guy. This is the guy, y'all. I'm not the guy. I, I'm just a humble servant, just just trying to edify the body. That, that's all I'm trying to do. Right. That's thank all. you. Yeah, this man, he is, like, really extremely humble, man. Um, Just getting to know him, first time speaking to him. So, hey, I'm, I'm excited for this show. I'm excited for the show. But first, let the people know who you are, what this, the name BK came from, the BK Apologist. Yes, what I, is am, I am known as the... I am known as the BK Apologist. I am what's known as an urban apologist. For those who might not know what that is, it is a, uh, I guess, a, a more niche version of Christian apologetics. You know, uh, the word apologetics comes from the Greek apologia, which is to, you know, provide a defense, you know. So what an urban apologist does is that he provides a defense for the gospel, but specifically against certain heretical teachings that attack black and brown Christians, Right. And we we also uh, explain and, and teach the gospel within the framework and, and the contextualization of the big city. You know, you know, whether you're from Compton, Third Ward, you know, or Brooklyn, New York, you know, just providing the Bible in a manner in which the people in those demographics can fully understand. So that's what a that's what an urban apologist is, and that's you know that's what I do. That's that's the attempt that I make. Uh, reason why I call myself BK apologist <laughs> was uh, I had some really great other urban apologists by the name of Volcab Malone and Adam Coleman. Uh, they came with a whole bunch of other apologists to New York uh, about two to three summers ago for for an apologetic conference that they were training for, and it was the first time I actually met them, you know, in real life. You know, before that, it's just you know the internet, and I wasn't full blown. Christian YouTuber. I was just uploading little lessons I've done in church and whatnot, but they really enjoyed it. And they really feel like, you know, you need to represent your city because there isn't any urban apologists in New York that's on the internet, except really you. Now I didn't realize that at the time. So what I decided was I'm going to have my city be my partner in the gospel. So BK is short for Brooklyn because I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. So, and I'm, I'm an apologist. I'm defending the faith. So I'm a, I'm a defender of the faith from Brooklyn, hence BK Apologist. So that's what the name comes from. Right. Amazing. Amazing. It's, uh, I'm glad that we have people like you because over the past, over the years, I mean, over the centuries, the theme around black Christians is they don't know much theology. They just go in church and scream, hop, dance, and shout. They don't know much right. about the Bible at all. They can't get in, give you depth, you know, depth. Bible teaching, like in their Bible teaching, you have to right. go to somebody that's white. And that was, uh, I mean, that's what a lot of blacks um, probably still believe to this day. Sure. But no, that's, that's not true. We have people like you, people like you mentioned, um, vocab Malone, Adam Coleman, the list can go on and on. Like Damien Richardson, Damien Richardson, Eric I, Mason. Yeah. Dr. Sponsor. Eric Mason. Right. It's just a list of like a black scholars and people who just, immerse themselves in the Bible and right. just can give you great in-depth teaching. So you need to definitely check these people out. If you're black, right. brown, white, it doesn't matter. We don't, right, right, we don't right. divide does, lines um, according to color. We don't do that. Right. Here. No, but no, no. the thing is we do have the black and brown people producing right. great content around. Now, the now listen, there's nothing wrong with you shouting and praising God either. Right. Like, no no one's saying that you can't be right. emotionally into it. Right. Well, we're, but what we are saying is you need to balance that with some good exegesis of scripture, you know? Exactly. So, cause the one of the greatest commandments Christ gave to us is love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So yeah, you should be emotionally attached to this, 
but you should also engage it from from a, a, a intellectual pursuit as well. Right. So. Exactly. So, yeah. So what we're going to talk about today is Christianity, a copycat religion, you know, from right. all these other Eastern and ancient religions. Is is this just the Christians copy, you know? the um the bible right. from somebody else in the late was 16 1800s that people claim i mean that's that's right. extremely late but people say that is this a copycat religion well you know the short answer to that is no okay so i'm right. not living a lie okay you're so not living a lie everybody it's the end of the show we're not living a lie bye bye <laughs> now of course that's 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 it. that's very simple and we're going to get into some reasons why i say no but yeah. before I get into that, you know, we're going to go into some primary sources. Right. We're going to do some compare and contrast. But before we do that, you know, I know a lot of us are not going to be able to recurgitate these things come next family gathering. You know, Christmas Eve is coming up, Christmas Day. You have your Christmas dinner and you're sitting next to your woke friend, your woke cousin Malik, who was a gangster last year. But now he's like, <laughs> you know, got not yourself. He got the kufi and the dashiki. Right. And he's like, don't call me by my slave name no more. You know what I mean? Like that dude. We all, we all have that one cousin or uncle that, that's super duper woke, right? Right. So when you have these discussions, it's always good. This, I think it's a really good practical. The burden of proof is only on the person who makes the claim. Exactly. Right. You don't have to do any heavy lifting as a believer if you're not making the claim. So if Cousin Malik is saying to you that Christianity is a ripoff of Agent Kemet, for example, your response should be, wow, that's interesting. How did you come to that conclusion? Real simple. And what's, what's, what you might find interesting is they might get very irate and upset with you. Because these guys are not known to having to articulate their points. Right. Because a lot of these guys learn their stuff from memes and YouTube videos. And they just regurgitate and parrot what's being said to them because they like what it says because it reaffirms their prejudice against Christianity. But they never had to really think it through. They, you know, and they'll, they'll always say, do your research. They don't do their research. They take the memes and YouTube and their in their personal echo chambers where they say the same things to each other. But they never had to explain the points that they make. So something as simple as just asking, well, how do you get to that? You know, now what's funny enough, I've gotten to more debates on, on the internet just for asking that question. I'm, and, and Gusto, you probably had the same issue. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. just a simple question. Like, right. okay, I'm not, I'm not even saying you're wrong yet. Right. Who taught you saying, that? Like, yeah. You how did from? you get that? How did you get to this place? Show me, man. Look, but that's something that any believer can easily do. Right. But once the, the conversation gets a little bit more in depth, then you might want to bring out some to help them see that there really isn't that much of a connection that they think there is. And that's what we're going to do today. Right. right. So with that being said, let me share my screen. The trash is, well, you know, let's start at the beginning. Let's start with the creation story. Right. right. Every culture in the ancient Near East has a creation story. We're going to just focus between the Bible and ancient Egypt. Since a lot of the people who you might come across are going to bring up ancient Kemet. Kemet is just a, it's the actual more ancient word for Egypt. Egypt is the, the, the Roman, Greco-Roman version of Egypt. I mean, of Kemet. Kemet means black land, right? So within this black land, you actually have about three major theologies when it comes to the creation story, Right which is already problematic for them now, right? Because you got three different creation stories as opposed to Genesis, which is just one, right? But anyway, the first one we're going to discuss is the Heliopolitan theology. And in this theology, right, uh, none, the pre-existent primeval ocean, quote, came into being by himself. Keep that in mind. It came into being by himself. In one of the Egyptian cosmogonic speculations, Atum, who arose out of the pre-existent Nun, threatened that the land will return into Nun, into the floodwaters, as in its first state. Quote, thus it is to be noted that in Heliopolitan cosmogonic mythology, the quote, watery chaos or waste was pre-existent and was personified as Nun, the mother of gods, or she who bears Ray, the sun god, identified with Atum each day. So in this particular theology, you have the, 
the water itself is pretty much a god, right? Which is called Nun. And this god, the, the watery chaos, came into being by himself. It's self-created. And this Nun is where we get the, the god Ray, who's also identified as a tomb. And this creation story happens every day. Why? Right? When the sun comes up, the sun comes down the next day. It's a recreation of the mythology every day. All right. So this is, if you was a practitioner of Heliopolitan theology in ancient Kemet, this is what you would believe. But then there's Memphite theology. Okay. And in Memphite, in the rival Memphite theology, Ptah, the chief god of Memphis, is equated with Nun. And it's the creative principle itself out of which Atum and all other gods were created. Again, focus on that. Atum and all other gods were created. So Bata is both Nun, the primeval, primeval ocean, the Tatanin, the primeval land, which arose out of Nun and is equated with the land of Egypt. All right, so the other one says Atum and, and Ray. This one says Bata. Right. Then you got Hermopolitan cosmogony. In Hermopolitan cosmogony, there exists prior to creation an infinite dark watery chaos whose characteristics are incorporated into the four pairs of gods and the Ogdua. As the water begins to stir, the primeval hillock emerges from the deep, bringing up the quote cosmic egg out of which Ray the sun god will appear to proceed with the creation of all other things. The new creative events occur cyclical fashion with the daily rebirth of the sun and the annual receding of the night. So in this particular cosmology, right, you got the water, it brings this cosmic egg, which the sun god, Ray, comes out of this egg. Out the egg? It comes out of an egg, Out a cosmic egg. egg. A cosmic egg, okay. And it, it proceeds oh to create everything else. But this happens, again, every day and every season. All right? Yeah. So you got Ray, Atum, Ptah, Nun. They're all created gods. Right? So are they created and every day? Stories, all right, yeah, bro. Oh, my goodness. Okay, wow. So what this is known as, these are theogonies. A theogony is the gene genealogy or birth of the gods. Right? You find this in the Greek-English lexicon. So here's the question. Do we have a theogony in the genesis of kind of creation? A big no. Right. A big So no. from the very beginning, right? We're starting in the beginning. Creation. We already see that there's a big difference between the Genesis account of creation and the various comedic accounts of creation. Right. In fact, Nahum M. Sarna, uh, who wrote a paper on creation from Genesis, says, the traditional English translation reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This rending, rendering construes the verse as an independent sentence, complete in itself, a solemn declaration that serves as an epitomizing caption to the entire narrative. It takes the initial word Bereshit to mean at the beginning of time and thus makes a momentous assertion about the nature of God, that he is wholly outside of time, just as he is outside of space, both of which he proceeds to create. In other words, for the first time in the religious history of the Near East, God is conceived as being entirely free of temporal and spectral dimensions. There is no other God in the ancient Near East that is separate from the very thing he's created. Because if you notice, right, one comes from the water of Nun, wow. and Nun itself created itself. And then in this other theology, there's this cosmic egg that comes from these waters, and out comes Ra from this cosmic egg. They're all being created by, by stuff, by material things. God, Yahweh, 
was here before there was such thing as material. Right, exactly. Yahweh is space, spaceless, ageless, timeless, and immaterial. Big difference from the, 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 the creation stories that we see in Egypt. Right, so, a big difference. Where's where's the plagiarism? No plagiarism at all. I mean, no, not even close. Just uh, no. I mean, you have the similarities there. You know, um, they believe in a god, of course. Um, they believe in a creation, of course. But other than that, I don't see any other correlation. Right. Nothing that's even close, like not even a tiny bit close. Like, okay, let me look at some more stuff because they might be on to something. They're not even close. It's not even close. Right. No, no, they're really not. And again, they're not, which was funny enough, even though they claim to be practitioners of some sort of now value spirituality, they haven't looked at their primary sources. They haven't right. looked at their own creation accounts. Yeah. Because if they did, they wouldn't make these claims, I would think. Right. And something that's um, amazing to me that the first time in the Near East that God, he wasn't created. So this makes um, the biblical narrative extremely different. Yes. Vastly different than any other narrative yes. that we see. Absolutely. Which is uh, pretty amazing if you think about it. It's like a small thing, like, but it's, it's like pretty amazing. Well, actually, it's a big thing. It's a big thing that God wasn't created. Let me say that. Right. Right. No, no, absolutely. But again, you know, if you take the time out now, mind you, as much as Gusto likes to say I'm an expert, whatever, I'm a regular dude from Brooklyn. Yeah. I've never been to seminary. I don't have a college degree. I got some credits. That's all I have. So if some chubby Puerto Rican kid from Brooklyn can figure this out, you can too. Right. (laughs) So it's not like it's not hard to figure it out. Just just read the actual primary sources of these ancient people and they'll tell you what they believe. They'll tell you. And then you compare that to what scripture says and you'll see that they're not in agreement at all. At all. It's really that simple. Yeah, and but people will still keep, it's people, you st- we still see the same memes and we still see the same mm-hmm. narrative that um, the creation was stolen from Egypt or whatever right. of various other places people claim right. as, as right. well. But you look at these primary sources, the ones that you show right now, I mean, it's not even close. Right, right. Um, another um, thing they'd like to say that we copied from ancient Egypt is the Ten Commandments. Right. Uh, we've seen tons of these memes that, you know, in fact, let me show you what I'm talking about here. Um, they will tell you that the Ten Commandments were stolen from what's known as the negative confession, the 42 negative confessions, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's this particular um, scene right here. And it says here, the negative confession, also known as the Declaration of Innocence, is a list of 42 sins which the soul of the deceased can honestly say it has never committed when it stands in judgment in the afterlife. The most famous list comes from the Papyrus of Ani, a text of the Egyptian Book of the Dead prepared for the priest Ani of Thebes. This is around 1250 BCE. So, you know, when the Bible says, do not kill, do not do this, they're saying, oh, you guys got that from this particular scene in the Book of the Dead. First of all, the Bible never asserts that we created the idea that, you know, killing another human is bad. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah. The, the, the people of Israel pretty much knew that, you know, if you kill someone, it's not going to be good. Right. Yep. Right. So that, that wasn't the revelation mm-hmm. that was occurring at the time. The, the Ten Commandments is part of what we know as a covenant. And it's a contract for those who are living. Whereas the Book of the Dead is a book of spells for someone who is deceased. Now, I don't know about you, but being alive I'm I'm thinking it's very different than being dead. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, right. Big difference. Yeah, big difference. So the book of the dead, the 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 well, if you want to be proper to put up M Haru, the coming forth by day. Okay. Yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna say book of the dead. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. But you know, when you talk to these guys, you, you know, right. you show a little bit of 
you know, yeah. respect for for the, the actual name of the thing, right? So, um, so here it's a book of spells that's supposed to help you maneuver through the duat, which is what they call the underworld, to get to the afterlife. And this scene, right, when your your heart is being weighed with the feather, as you see in this plate with the the feather known as ma'at, the goddess ma'at weighs your good deeds and and, and your heart. And these guys that you see above seated, you got to tell each and every one of them a certain confession. I've never done this. I've never done that. I've never did this. Right. Which is very interesting because you have to declare that you've never committed these specific 42 cents, which is very interesting. And the reason why it's interesting is because one of the spells helps you not snitch on yourself when you make these confessions. Well, what am I talking about? Well, there's a scarab, right? The scarab replaces, because when you get mummified, they take your heart out and they replace it with this scarab. The scarab is what symbolizes your heart. This is what gets put on the scale. And as long as the scale is balanced with the feather, you make it. But if your heart is too hard or heavy and, and it's heavier than the feather, you don't make it. So in the back of this scarab is a spell, right? It's spelled 30. And here's what the spell says. All my heart of my mother, all my heart of my mother, my heart of my different ages, do not stand as a witness. Do not oppose me in the tribunal. Do not show your hostility against me before the keeper of the balance. For you are my car, which is in my body the protector who causes my limbs to be healthy. Go forth for yourself to the good place to which we hasten. Do not cause our name to stink to the entourage who make men in heaps. What's good for us, good for the judge, may the heart stretch, i.e. be happy. At the verdict, do not speak lies in the presence of God. Behold, you are distinguished, existing as a justified one. What is this spell saying? It's saying, look, Heart, you know, I'm going to lie to these guys real quick when I make these confessions. Don't tell them I'm lying. Listen, heart, let's, 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 you know, I know what I'm saying is foul, but don't snitch. Don't dry snitch on me. Because what's good for me is good for the judge, right? We, let's hasten to where we want to go, right? We're trying to get to heaven, heart, all right? Now is not the time to all of a sudden grow a conscience, right? So here's the spell to keep my heart in check from actually telling the truth. So I'm going to lie to these guys so I can make it. This, this, is a, this is the cheat code. This is a fudge factor spell to get you to heaven. Does this sound like the gospel to you? Not at all. Nope. Can't get in heaven by your own deeds. Like, it's, it's just so far-fetched. You can even think about the 42 um, confessions. Like, we don't have to confess our sins to God. I mean, that's one of the scary and amazing parts about um, the God of the Bible. He knows our hearts. And I know we always say, God knows my heart, God knows my heart, which is really a scary thing that he knows our hearts. Like, that's terrifying. Like, he knows our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. He knows every single thing that we have done. So there's no need for us to say, hey, God, God to ask us, did you do this? Uh, no, did you do this? No, like God knows what we did do and what we didn't do. But I mean, God still has a right to ask if he wants to, but he can just ask if he wants to, but he already knows the sins that we did. There's no escape. There's no cheat code like that. You can get around this thing. Right. And they created a literal cheat code. Like, yeah, I got to confess that I never did these things, but we all know that we did. Right. So my heart chill, chill out heart. Don't snitch on me because, listen, we're trying to get to heaven. So let's, you know, I'm going to I'm going to lie, but don't right. don't make me feel bad about lying. Let's just get to it. And what's interesting is this book that supposedly that the Bible rips rips from you. The people that say that you're not even supposed to know what's in the book of the dead. Why am I saying that? Well, okay. wow. share here. This is from the book setting the scene. The deceased and regenerative cult within offering table imagery and the Egyptian of the Egyptian old to middle kingdom by Barbara O'Neill. And she says, until the later part of this period, the non-royal deceased 
had limited access to an afterlife beyond the tomb. The ideological chasm between the king and his subjects was emphatically obvious. Only the king crossed the great divide and ascended to heaven. While kings enjoyed a smorgasbord of stellar, solar, and Osirian expectations in the royal neverworld, the elite were restricted to an earthbound eternity. Direct contact with the gods was the prerogative of the monarch, who acted as a guarantor of the continued order indicated in the change of seasons, the return of the inundation, and the movements of celestial bodies. So the, these book of spells were only for the elites. Mm. And the only way people actually found out about this is that when the first, the, the first dynasty collapsed, it had an economic collapse, and those secret information seeped into the public domain. Wow. But it was never meant for public consumption. So the very people who lay claim to the Book of the Dead you guys should not even know that that book even exists because it wasn't for you. It was only for the Pharaoh and his, and his peoples. Right. You were not royalty. So you didn't have access to these things. So, wow. So that that makes me think what the, what do the people do that aren't royalty? Like what part do they play? Like, well, I mean, what they would try to do once they, well, first of all, once they found out, right. You still couldn't afford to get the book mm. because the book was created by the priests and the scribes for the king. Okay, okay. These, and they were, they, were, they were custom made. They had your name in it and everything, right? These books cost a lot of money. It, it cost a year's wages. So if you're, you're you know, your basic random mill citizen of Kemet, chances are you couldn't afford the book. So what they would do is if your family member recently got deceased, they would try to bury that family member somewhat close to the pyramid. Hopefully that when the king leaves, somehow your your uncle's spirit could somehow catch the bus and, and maybe hopefully tag along somehow. Maybe. Okay, okay. Wow. <laughs> maybe. maybe. Got a chance. Don't know. Right. Gotta catch that bus. Oh, man. That's, yeah, this is not even... Um, the same at all like um these commandments the um like how you get judged and it's it's not the same like no nope. even the judgment is so so far off we we know that that um we the people who are under the blood of Christ that we are fine we are good doesn't give us right. a license to sin i mean right. i guess you'll see that more down you're you're up north so i think you'll see that more down here that a lot of people are Christian and down here in the South and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it gets that um, image of, I can do whatever I want. I'm still um, right, saved, right, right, uh, right. which is not true. You can't just do whatever you want, but we are saved right. and covered by the blood of the lamb. Right. And it's not by good works. It's by his grace and by right. his grace, his mercy and by him dying on the cross for our sins, we can produce good works that actually count. All right. For the, for the believer, there is no judgment scene. It's right. homecoming. Yes. It's homecoming for the believer. For those who do not believe, yes, it's definitely a judgment. Right. But, but if you're in Christ, it's not a judgment. You're 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 welcome welcome back. Right. And we yeah. see that this is available to all. Okay. Right. Not just the Pharaoh, not just the king, not just the priest, not just the president, not just a person who is in power who has large influence, but right. to regardless all people. of color, right, economic status, the gospel is for everybody. everybody. And it's and like the um like the I don't know much about Egyptology. I mean, zero, really. But I can't, I don't think that the Pharaoh was hanging out with, you know, tax collectors or, or the low, the poor, the widow, no, not the orphan. I don't think he was hanging with those people. No, probably not. So probably not. That, these these similarities are, it's a huge difference. It's like major differences. Mm-hmm. Like the Pharaoh would not come down and hang with the crippled or the lame. Right, right. He will not share the same table. Not share the, not no. even, you're not getting no. by that table at all. <laughs> that's like, no. uh, that's like me if I'm just trying to go to LeBron James' table right now. They're not going to let me at the table. Chances not, no, no. It's, it's chances that I won't be at the table. I try to go to the president's table. You're not going to be at the table. But with Christ, you can be able to come to that table. No matter who you are, that's what makes 
is extremely different. In fact, in Psalms, it says that God is the one who prepares the table for you, right? Right. So <laughs> God is preparing the table for us, unlike the unlike this, you might have to sneak in, you know, try to catch that bus. We don't have to try right, to right. catch that bus. I mean, Jesus tell us the opposite. The one who would try to sneak in, you're gonna be destroyed. So you know, I, that's a good point. So good point. this is this just it's so so different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you present all this evidence and people will still bring up other claims. I know that we're gonna get into that mm-hmm. um Jesus is a copycat of other right. um dying and rising gods. And I don't want to move mm-hmm. past that. Let's let's get into that. So is Jesus a copy of other rising gods? Like he's not this not exclusive to Christ. Rising right. from the dead, spending 40 days with the disciples, eating right. fish and doing all this um, amazing stuff. This is not exclusive to him. He wasn't the first person to do this. Why Why would <laughs> we worship this dude? He's not the first person. He's like the fifth or the tenth or the hundredth person that did this in history. Right, is this right, claim right. true? Well, again, like what I said before, you know, when someone makes that claim, it's you're not responsible for, for backing up that claim. The person making the claim has to now show and prove, not you. But besides that, is there any, you know, credence to this claim? Well, you're going to have to go into, again, you know, well, well, another question you can ask someone. It's like, okay, you saying that Jesus is like Horus. Would those people at that time, would they see the same things you're seeing? Mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Because in, in the ancient committed people, the thing that's that's very interesting is they would probably ask you, well, which Horus you speak of? Because there's at least four iterations of Horus, right? There's the Vengeful Horus, there's Horus the Elder, and Horus of the Horizon, and Horus the Child. Now, if I was to still man their argument, still man an argument means to make someone else's argument stronger and still be able to knock it down, Right? Your best bet is Horus the child, right? Jesus, quote unquote, is plagiarizing from Horus the child, right? Baby Jesus, Horus the child. Problem with that, though, is there's at least four different iterations of Horus the child. Which iteration are we talking about? Right? So, again, even before we get into some of the main points, there's already some some problematic situations going on here because we don't even know which Horus you're talking about. Right? So... One of the points that people like to say is that, well, the idea of the virgin birth of Christ comes from the virgin birth of Horus from his mom, Isis, right? Again, let's look at what these ancient ancient people said about Isis and giving birth to Horus, right? What you see here is a stele. It's the, this is called, this is the hymn to Osiris. It's preserved in a calciate stele, dedicated by Amenines, who lived sometime during the first half of the 18th dynasty, right? BCE, way before, right? Any kind of Christianity, whatever, right? And this is from Ancient Egypt, Facts and Fictions by Stephen E. Thompson. Let's look at the translation of this stele, because it's talking about the birth of Horus. Let's see what this primary artifact says about this birth. It says, Isis the Effectives, the protector of her brother, who looked for him without ceasing, who traveled this land in mourning. She would not rest before she found him. She made a shadow with her feathers, creating a breeze with her wings, offering praise when her brother moored. She is, she is the one who lifted up the lethargy of the weary-hearted, who received his semen, which created the air, who suckled the child in solitude. His location was unknown. Who revealed him in the court of Geb when he had grown strong? The Ened rejoices, quote, welcome Osiris' son, Horus, stout-hearted, true of voice, son of Isis, heir of Osiris. This is the translation of the Stella talking about the birth of Horus. It says here that Isis, the mom, received his semen, Osiris, Osiris' semen, which created the heir, which is Horus. So, you know, this is a family show, right? But we we kind of know how, you know, little boys and girls are made now. Yeah. Right? And we know that, you know, a woman has to be inseminated in order to 
have a child. Now, the question is, once a woman has received semen, now, and, I, and I know now there's artificial semination, but we're talking about, you know, the old-fashioned way, right? Man and wife, husband, honeymoon, right? Mm-hmm. When a woman receives semen, is she still classified as a virgin? No. 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 Nope. And nope. Right. So is this a virgin birth? Not close. Not right. at all. Zero. Right. And it's not me saying that. The Stelic, the agent people of Kemen are telling you that Isis receives semen to give birth to the heir known as Horus. But that's not the only proof we have. Let's go back to what's known as the coffin text. Now, the coffin text is actually a precursor to the Book of the Dead, right? Because at first you would have what's known as the pyramid text. So all them spells that help you get through the duat into the afterlife, they would write it on the walls. Then from there, they would put it on the coffin. As, as you can see, you see all this various writing. Those are the spells. And then after that, they would start putting it in these books, right? So this is known as the coffin text. This specific spell is numbered 148. It's called the conception of Horus. These texts are intended to provide the successful transition to the afterlife of a deceased Egyptian. The purpose of these texts is stated in the title, to allow the deceased to become a falcon. The Egyptians believed that the dead could transform themselves into any number of forms necessary to escape enemies in the afterworld and ascend to the world of the gods. Now, the previous stele is what was told about Isis. In this spell, they actually quote the goddess herself. So what I'm about to read, this translation is a quote coming from Isis. This is Isis speaking about the birth of Horus. And this is what she says. Oh, gods, I am Isis, the sister of Osiris, who wept on account of the father of the gods, Osiris, who parted the slaughter of the two lands. His semen is inside my body. I have knitted the form of a god in the egg as my son, foremost of the Ened, who will rule this land, who will inherit from Geb, who will speak for his father, who will slay Seth, the enemy of his father, Osiris. Come, O gods, may you provide his protection within my uterus, knowing your hearts that this god who is in his egg is your lord, the blue-haired one, the form of the lord of the gods who are great beautiful, adorned with two plumes of lapis lazuli. After the blast of the meteorite, such that even the gods fear, Isis awoke pregnant by the seed of her brother Osiris. Thus, thus the woman raised herself abruptly, her heart pleased with the seed of her brother Osiris. Coffin Spell 148 by Robert H. O'Connor. So, this is the goddess herself speaking. She is saying that she receives semen from Osiris. Mm. So, so once again, is this a virgin birth? Not at all. Now, don't take my word for it. Don't beef with me. Your beef is with the goddess Isis, because this is what she is saying. True. She is saying that she got knocked up. Was it no Holy Spirit... There was none of that. <laughs> none of that. She received actual semen to create Horus. Right. Now, so as we see, there is no virgin birth. But what about, you know, the death and resurrection? Yeah. And the right? virgin, this virgin birth is like extremely different from Mary's virgin birth. Mary, attitudes and the aggression that she has. Mary didn't have that type of aggression. Mary's like, okay, Lord, I, I will do your will. And she had a humble approach. She was like excited. Right. She wanted it. She was looking forward to it. But she's like extremely paranoid, trying to see how to put things together, trying to, you know, trying right. to figure things out. Right. Then she had this burden. Um, now, Isis was a boss. She's telling the right. other guys what to do. You better come down here. You better right. protect what's in my uterus. Right. This is going to be your lord. He's going to kill this person. He's going gonna- <laughs> hey, to be a massacre when he come out. Watch right, out for right. this guy. Right, right, right. So, no, totally. So her added, now, you're right. Not only is there is no virgin birth, but her, even her whole, whole attitude about the birth itself is vastly different than Mary's. Yeah. So that's a great point. So, but what about
about the death and quote unquote resurrection of Horus, right? Mm -hmm. Well, let's look at that. So, this is from Who's Who in Egyptian mythology. It says here, Isis hid her son Horus, the child. When she returned, she found him lying dead, foam on his lips. He had been killed by Set in the form of scorpion. Isis' cries brought out all the neighbors. Finally, on the advice of Neptaphes, her sister, she appeared before the sun god Ra. He, Astolf, descended to earth to comfort her and taught her the spell to restore Horus to life. Isis uttered the magic words and the poison flowed from her son's body. The boy was restored. Gusto, does this sound like the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus? No, not at all. Not even close. Oh my goodness. So far away from the death and burial resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I don't remember Yeshua getting killed by a scorpion. Right, I not a scorpion. I don't know what gospel. Maybe <laughs> the gospel of Thomas. I'm not sure. Hey, but this, you, never, like, you never know. Like this, Peter didn't come out. Mary Magdalene didn't come out and say, hey, this, Jesus has been killed by a scorpion, you guys. Jesus knew that he was going to die. He knew who was going to betray him and kill him. And he laid down his life. Nobody took his life. That's the point that people miss a lot when they try to come against the Bible. I'm like, have you read the Bible before? Even if you don't believe it, just um, be factual about it. Because the Bible says that Jesus laid down his life. Okay, gave it up. Did nobody take it? So, but, but no. even even with okay, you didn't have you read your Bible? But to these people who are part of this, you know, conscious community, my question is: Have you read your material? <laughs> right, because that because that's a good you point. Read your material, that's a good you point. wouldn't make these claims. That's a great point. Because again, not think I'm about reading that. your source material. Right. This is what the agents of Agent Kemet believed. Exactly. Right. So it's like, so don't don't get upset with me. I'm just reading what's on the walls. This is what your quote unquote ancestors are saying. Right. And they're not saying anything close to what you're saying. Right. So. Right. So, so quickly, let's 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 talk about Osiris, right, because he's another person that they claim that Jesus is plagiarizing from says here, this is from the Encyclopedia of Religion, the Osirian myth can be reconstructed from the pyramid text of the 5th and 6th dynasties. While the names of the actors and details of the incidents vary, this record, this record is remarkably consistent over 2,500 years. Osiris was murdered and his body dismembered and scattered. The pieces of his body were recovered and rejoined and the God was rejuvenated. So before I even continue, does this sound like Jesus' death? No. Was Jesus' body parts severed and scattered? Severed and scattered? No. Right. So, again, right? Not one bone would be broken. It's just re remember nice. that. <laughs> nice. Right? The complete opposite. The That's complete good. Opposite. I, didn't even, I didn't even think about that. Just, look, oh, my goodness. That is, that is, this, this is laughable that people put this up against um scripture. This is laughable. But what about the resurrection? Maybe there's a connection there, right? Well, let's see. Right, it might be. Let's see. However, he did not return to his former mode of existence, but rather journeyed to the underworld, where he became the powerful lord of the dead. In no sense can Osiris be said to have, quote, risen in the sense required by the dying and rising pattern. Most certainly, it was never conceived as an annual event. The repeated formula, rise up, you have not died, whether applied to Osiris or a citizen of Egypt, signaled a new permanent life in the realm of the dead. So, yes, he's rejuvenated, he's reanimated, but he doesn't come back to Earth. He now rules the underworld. Wow, the underworld. Wow. Right? In fact, when you look at how they draw him, they usually draw him green in mummy wraps. Mm. You look like a zombie. Okay. I can't think of no Marvel character that's the Lord of the Dead, so can't think of one. <laughs> But Jesus, now not only does he come back from the dead, right. he eats some fish. Thomas gets to touch his wounds. He hangs out with them for at least 40 days before Pentecost. He's out and about. Like, he's, you know, they touch you. He's here. He's back. 
unlike Osiris. Though these parallels, the individual Egyptian dead become identified with and addressed as Osiris, perhaps earliest in the pyramid text 176-168. The myth and ritual of Osiris emphasizes the message that there is life for the dead, although it is of a different character than that of the living. What is to be feared is, quote, dying a second time in the realm of the dead. Osiris is a powerful god of the potent dead. In no sense can the dramatic myth of his death and reanimation be harmonized to the pattern of dying and rising gods. Right, because he never came back to the earth. Never comes back to life in this life. Right, never came back to this life, right. Never. Went to the realm of the dead. How is this a resurrection again? I don't know how this can be even close to a resurrection. Maybe um, they was reading the Bible and thought about Jesus, then they tried to mix it up with this guy, and they failed. Well, what ends up happening is later on, you know, within like the 15th or 16th century, when people start deciphering the hieroglyphics, those they would, they would use Christian words to explain these other myths. So some some Egyptologists would use the word uh, he was resurrected. Mm. So, but even those Egyptologists didn't mean it in the biblical sense. Right. They was just using the terminology. But then somebody who's not from the academy, when they hear that, it's like, you see, he said resurrection, so it must be the same. I'm like, no, no, keep, keep, keep reading. Keep reading. That's not what they mean when they say resurrection. He was reanimated into the underworld. So, right. Uh, that's, I mean, yeah, Jesus actually, like you said, he came and ate fish. They touched his body. He was here chilling for 40 days. I mean, not the same. Same. It's, it's, it's not. It's, it's just, it's just not, not, it's just not close to being the same. My thing is, maybe if it was close to being the same, then you can maybe have an argument then. But it's not I even mean, close to being. They both died. Same, right. Let's, let's, be, let's be charitable. They did both die. Yeah. Right. They well, basically, they were murdered, right? Because Jesus was murdered by the state. He was put on the cross. They were both murdered, and they both had a, a you know were brought back in a sense. Now, how they were murdered and how they were brought back are very different. Yeah, but I can at least be charitable enough to say, well, they were both murdered, but they both came back to some semblance of life. Right, right. But that's but that's as good as I can get for you. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, I totally agree that's, with that. That's, that's okay, the, that's I agree the, with that. I would definitely give them that. That's that's the most I can clean it up for you. That's that's all I could do. After that, it's like there is no there is no correlation. There, yeah, absolutely. No. So, and that uh, this, I mean, this, this evidence that's presented right here, and people still. Um, turn away and say no. I, I, I don't, don't, I don't want to believe it. I don't want to believe. It. I want to. I think maybe it's an identity crisis, I, or I might be wrong. Um, especially well, I think in the some of that, some of that is true. I think, and that, and, and it's valid, right? Because part of conveying the gospel is if we can agree with someone, we should. Yeah, we shouldn't be scared to agree. And what what I mean is this, you know. For many people in America, they know their ancestry and their culture. You know, if you're right. from, if you're Irish, you know your your national flag, your national anthem. You know your folklore, right? Your national foods, right? Or if you're or if you're German, you're Russian, you know. But when you're African, and you were brought here via the transatlantic slave trade, it's not as easy to know your culture because remember, Africa is a continent. Right. With many nations. Many, many. You know, and for many of us, we don't know. And it wasn't until we started doing like 23andMe right. <laughs> and DNA testing that we started having some understanding of what part of Africa. Right. But the crazy thing is we needed science to help us. Whereas somebody who's Irish, they just called a great grandmother. Right. Exactly. Right. These are it's facts because of the atrocities that happened to black and brown people. The, the, the idea of who I am is a right. very hard question to answer. To and that's answer. true. Yes. That's true. Now, the greatest identity is we are images of God. Right. Right. That transcends any, you know, whether you're black, Puerto Rican, 
whether you're a doctor, lawyer, and all these are, all these are great identities to have. But the greatest identity is you being an imager of God, right. right? But at the same time, we need to lament with those who lament, right? Horrible, horrendous things have happened to black and brown people. We need to acknowledge that, you know, so that, but it's because we live in a fallen world. Right. The transatlantic slave trade happened because of the rebellion of humans against God. Right. And that may, and, Yeah, and that's what I always think because I, I think I saw a video, forgot um, the name. I think I saw like two clips. I forgot the dude's name, but they both were comedians and they were talking about um, like if they were talking about Jesus, basically, um, mm-hmm. really. Like if Jesus is if so-called real, he's the real thing. That's why I say this identity crisis is actually right. like 100% valid, right. real. He said, now, if Jesus is so real, we've been praying to Jesus for about 400 years, and he never showed up. And so, and he correlated with a joke, of course, because he's a comedian, um, right, saying, right. like, if Jesus, if, if he is real, he'll be a nigga. I was like, okay. So, yeah, people, like, are hurt this identity crisis because of this transatlantic slave right. trade. You still no, see no, it. Jesus is not white. He's not, right. you know. He doesn't have the Alberto Ob- Ob- VO5 hot oil treatment, blonde hair. You know. Yeah. But, but he's not African either. He's not. He's, yeah. he's, he's Mediterranean. You know what I mean? So he's not white. He's not, he's not, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal, but he's not Idris Elba either. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like he's, he's of Semitic origin. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he is a person of color. Right. But exactly. he's not, you know, he's not blue, black, African, but he's not blonde. He's not Thor. Right, he's definitely you know not. I mean? He's just not, you yeah. know. So he would J- Jesus of 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 history would have a hard time getting a cab in, in New York City still. Right. You know what I mean? Even though he's not quote unquote African. You know what exactly. I mean? So he will still be considered a minority. You know, the one drop move. You got one drop of black blood, you're black in America, right? So right. One drop of black blood, yeah, you're black in America. You're like, automatically black. Two so percent Jesus definitely wasn't white. white. No, right. No, he was not. Yes. So so yeah, I, I this this and now I want to get into this because this um before um we wrap up because I want to take all your time, but mm-hmm. I want to get into this and maybe we can have you back on to talk about some more stuff because I'm telling you all oh, this dude is a beast man this dude is a freaking beast make sure you check out um his YouTube channel BK Apologies I'm gonna link it down in the uh, description Thanks, below I mean this dude is a beast man but anyway. <laughs> I want to know, like, how did we get this Bible? Because we get attacks from the New Testament and the Old Testament. Most of all, the New Testament, right. you see those attacks a lot. In the Old Testament, you see the attacks on the commandments. They're inhumane. Sure. They're not. They're sure. weird. They're not normal. Of course, I don't want them to be normal. If this is the 21st century. I'm not surprised that they're not <laughs> normal, but I don't know. But anyway, can you please discuss that? Well, I mean, the, the critique... Actually, it's funny enough, the critique comes from an actual fictional source, right? Because the Dan, that Dan Brown book, uh, The Da Vinci Code, right? It claims that we didn't have the books of the Bible until the Council of Nicaea. Right. Right? And there is an actual um, book that was written somewhere, I think, 15th or 16th century that claims that in the council, they brought all these parchments and they prayed. And God decided that, you know, he would levitate the, the manuscripts that he liked on the top shelf of the altar. And then the, the, the ones he didn't like were put in the bottom. Right. But that was written way after the Council of Nicaea. Right. And we know actually what happened that council because the people that were there wrote about it. Athanasius wrote about it. Eusebius wrote about it. You know, um, Arius and um, Athanasius, who debated at the council, wrote to each other about the council. And, and what's crazy, we have the letters. Well, we have we have at least Athanasius' letters, who references the correspondence he had with Arian. So it's like we actually have eyewitness testimony of what happened to the council. We don't have to make anything up. We know what happened. And we know that one of the things that were not discussed is which book should be in the Bible. In fact, we have a letter from Constantine telling the bishops to, if you guys can make more copies of the Bible so they can have it for the council. But you can't order Bibles unless there's already Bibles 
There. You right. Order, you can't Fire order us, something yeah. that doesn't exist. That's true. <laughs> so, but um, and like he didn't come in and say, "Make the Bibles today." Right. He didn't say that. He said, "I need copies." Right. Can you guys make more copies? Because we need them here. Right. It's like you can't having make a copy of something that didn't exist. Right. Can't have a can't tell somebody to make a copy of two K and it don't exist. So I mean, yeah. Right. Because they the church already had a working canon. Even before the birth of Constantine, there's there's a thing mm. called the the Mutarian fragments. Okay, and it has a list of pretty much the New Testament books already. And this is way before Constantine was even born. The church had a working canon. You know, they had the letters, they had the Gospels. Um, it was easier to vet these these manuscripts because the people that wrote them were still alive when they were making the copies. You know, mm. in fact. If I could show you um, a little chart here, you know, because another thing people would like to say about, you know, it, it's unreliable because it was so far from the actual, you know, what we, we what we would call the autographs, right? The autographs are the actual, like the first book of John that was ever written. That would be called the autograph. We don't have any of the autographs of the New Testament. We don't. Right. But we have copies that are very close to the actual autographs. Now, here is a comparison between the time differences of other books that nobody questions. Right. We have Caesar. Right. It was written in 144 BC, but the earliest copy doesn't arrive until 900 A.D. We have a thousand years separate from the earliest copy to the, the most, to the autograph. And we only have 10 copies of that, right? Plato also, nine, a 900, year, uh, no, a 1200 year gap. We only got seven copies of those, you know? Uh, Theocides, I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering his name. That's a 1300 year gap. Suetonius, Homer. Most of us who went to college, you know, had to read the Iliad. You know, there's a 500 year gap between the earliest copy and when it was written. But the New Testament, the time span is 25 to 50 years from the original copies. Wow. Which means that the copies we've had were actually written probably within the lifetime of at least the disciples of the apostles. Yeah. Yep, you exactly. know, so yep. and oh my goodness. we have 24,000 manuscripts. Now, the we the New Testament was of course was written originally in Koine Greek, even though there is uh, some of the church fathers do speak of a Hebrew mantra, right? So, but the bulk of New Testament manuscripts were written in Greek, about eight to nine thousand. But then when you add the Coptic and the Syriac. You combine all that, you have at least 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. Wow. So, 24,000 compared to 10, 7, 8, 28, right. 643. And just the time span of the years, 1,000, 12,000, 13,000, 800, and 25 to 50 years. So if the wow. New Testament manuscripts aren't reliable, you need to keep that same energy right. with Plato and Caesar. Exactly. But, you know, people are prejudiced, right? Because they don't want the New Testament to be what it is. Mm -mm. But you won't have the same level of scrutiny for these other books that no one questions. No one questions um, Caesar and Plato. No one. At all. No one. Right? They quote Plato as if he lived yesterday. Right. But look at the time gap, though. And we we already got seven copies? That's Mm. crazy. That's crazy. So. Crazy, that, and that is just for the um, the New Testament. I mean, so what about the old? Like, this, I mean, the, the old, old had a similar process. You know, the the people would would have you know the the papyrus, right? You know, and then they would collect it, and then people would edit, you know, the the, the portions of the scriptures that they had, because you got to remember they have to update the language. Right. Because when we say, the, the, you know, the Hebrew Bible was 
hence the, the, the term Hebrew Bible was written in Hebrew, but the language changes over centuries. Yeah. So if you had Moses and Solomon in the same room, those two guys, though they spoke Hebrew, would have a hard time communicating because the, the Hebrew that Solomon knew is not going to be the same as Moses. It's, it's similar to um, when you actually read an actual 1611 King James. Uh-huh. Have you ever read a, a, the actual 1611 King James? No, I never actually read the actual it 1611 It is super King difficult James. to read. And it's English. Right, English the, the, change. The terms yeah. and everything, it's like, we don't even use those terms. Like, you know, euconius, this and that, and it's, it's crazy. People think euconius means you, that, oh, the Bible's talking about unicorns. Like, no, it's talking about rhinos. It's the Latin term that the King James used. It's talking about a beast with one horn. We have a whole bunch of beasts in the world that have one horn. It's not right. talking unicorn like fairy unicorns. That's not, but in the Latin, it's unicornius. Right? So, but the old English is, 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 if you're not familiar with the old English, it's very difficult to read, even though it's, it's English, but it's not modern day English. Right? So the redactors had to, you know, update, you know, so, like, when the Bible talks about that, that um, ra- the, the land in Egypt called Ramesses, it wasn't called Ramesses back then. But if I call it something else, if I call the original term, the people who are now more modern won't know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like um, uh, 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 New York. New York wasn't always called New York. It was called, uh, it was some Dutch name. But if I call it by the Dutch name today, you're not going to know I'm talking about New York. So even if I'm talking about ancient New York, I still got to use the term New York for you to understand what I'm talking about. Right. So you so you see a lot of that in the Bible, you know, and again, it it just like a lot of the, the New Testament, it was gathered very organically. You know, and people will gather these different records and throughout time that, you know, the transmission, I mean, it's, it's a very deep process that we, we just, it, it's a whole different show. Right. You know, but God, you know, they, they took care and preserved these scrolls. And of course we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, which actually shows the proof of how, how meticulous these guys were in pre- preserving because prior to getting the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest Old Testament stuff was like a thousand or something years after the fact. Right. But now that with the Dead Sea Scrolls, we're much closer to the, the actual autographs. And mm. we compared those manuscripts, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we see that there's almost no difference. Wow. Which is very, very difficult to, to, to even fathom that that could be the case. But these scribes were so meticulous in making sure that when they wrote a new copy, it looked just like the old one. And it, it actually proves the validity of the transmission of scripture because of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm. Yeah. But that's a whole different show. Though. Wow. This this is a lot of valuable information. Like, I want to, um, like, so we got all of this information. How do we present this information to people so they can actually look into, like, different texts and actually well, see I mean, again, that the Bible you know, shows the evidence? What we did, you know, we, we, we nerded out for the last couple of minutes, right? But um, I think, um, again, you might not even have to present a lot of this. Right. Or you got, because you're not the one making the claim. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the person, actually, the person that makes the claim needs to be presenting this, not you. Right. So, but I think, you know, you have to study. Study, you know, the Bible says study to show yourself approved. Right. So, if you're going through this with people who believe in these things, it kind of makes sense for you to understand what they believe. Right. So that you can, so you guys won't talk past each other, you know, and the Christian should, like, if you're involved in apologetics and defending the faith, then you should really apply yourself and read these other doctrines, you know, so you can understand why they're critiquing the Bible the way they are. So, yeah, you, you're going to have to study. You're going to have to look at, you know, look, the books that I, I, I quoted from, you can get it in Barnes and Noble. They're not like some secret science that I'm showing you. Right. Barnes and Noble. Go to your to your local uh, library. They have these books. They have them there. Just read them. People don't read. They read memes. <laughs> Go watch a four second YouTube clip of, of Brother Polite, and now all of a sudden you think you're a scholar. Now, no, you still got to read books and read the footnotes. Read the bibliography of the books you read. 
and then get those books that that book is quoting from. You know, like having having a healthy uh, research methodology. Uh-huh. You know, and yeah, it, you're gonna have to read. Exactly. Man. Oh man, this was an amazing, amazing show for me. Thank you for taking your time out. Is there any last words you want to um, give us? Um, again, you know, um, the reason why you are a Christian isn't because, well, I just don't want to go to hell or, you know, the love of God, which is, these are very valid reasons. But the reason that you are a Christian is because it's true. Right. It's actually true. True. It is the worldview that best purports with reality. That's why you're a Christian. So if anyone asks you a question, it's like, because it actually makes sense. It's true. And when you pit the biblical worldview against other worldviews, the other worldviews don't, don't, right. Don't hold not even close. They don't hold any water. Right. Yeah. So you should be confident in your declaration of Jesus is Lord. Right. There should be confidence so when someone critiques your belief, it's okay. It's okay to even have some doubt. Doubt's actually kind of healthy because as long as the doubt inspires what? Research. Right. So you can figure out why you're doubting. Right? Get the answers. Because the answers are out there. So Christianity is true. Do not let these people shake your faith. It is true. And if, and if you do doubt, read and do the research and you will see that it's true. Like the stuff that I've showed has helped my faith so much. It's like, look, once again, Christianity is true. Right. And it helps me to be more confident and more bold in what I believe. Cause like, yeah, this, this actually does make sense. It's not just a nice thing to do. It's, I'm not Christian just because my parents were, it's because it's true and there's proof. It's true and reasonable. You know, so that's that's my point. Christianity is true, and that's why you should make Jesus Lord of your life. Awesome, awesome. This is amazing. Yeah, and I believe that's why Christians have the highest standard of living other than any other religion and any other profession. Your standard is extremely high, and when you fall, it's like you yeah. fail 10 times more than what you actually Absolutely. how you actually feel. So yeah, we do have a high standard and Christ does call call us to a high standard. But BK man, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for dropping this knowledge on us. Okay. One of the greats came on hey, my you, show. You go again okay. With one, of one of the greats came on my show. Uh, and I, I I'm just extremely humbled by it. I'm thankful. Time, Gusto. Had a good time, man. Man, man had a great hopefully time. Hopefully I can come again. Right. Hey, listen, man, you know, uh I'm always looking for 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 people to come hang out with us at the bodega on Friday nights if you want to come through. You okay. Know. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I definitely would. I would, I would. It would be an honor to um, do that. Come through on that. Yeah. That's what's up. All right. Cool. All right, man. Um. Once again, man. This y'all first time watching. Make sure y'all subscribe to BK's channel, man. It's amazing channel. I mean, so much information. And this just not okay. This is not one of these channels that just go after things that are extremely popular or try to gain like a lot of traction and views. This dude yeah. goes into deep deep discussions about the Bible, the history of the Bible, and so many other claims that come against it. I mean, he's doing great work in the kingdom. Make sure y'all check him out. I'm have description, you, his channel in the description below. So, hey, just keep thinking, and we hope to see you guys again, man. Y'all have fun. I know I did have fun, man. Thank you, BK. You peace, peace. Peace.